That's it for announcements. We're in 2 Corinthians this morning, chapter 1, uh, verse 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are trustworthy, that you are faithful to your promises, that all of your promises are yes and amen in Christ, that we would be reminded of your faithfulness this morning, that we would be encouraged. So we do welcome your Holy Spirit to teach us and to lead us and guide us in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. We live in a world of unfulfilled promises, don't we? Especially this year, as we make plans And those plans often have had to get changed because of all of the moving targets that are around uh, COVID. But even outside of COVID, it's difficult to fulfill our promises. Maybe you grew up in a home where a lot of things were promised to you and under-delivered. Maybe in your own life, it's been difficult to fulfill uh, your word. What's interesting about this section of Scripture is the Apostle Paul is not able to fulfill a commitment that he made to the Church of Corinth. He was intending to come and visit them, but he changed his mind. And he decided it wasn't the right time to do this visit. And this caused the church of Corinth to get upset with him. They're already questioning his leadership, questioning him as an apostle. So Paul's writing to clear that up. And in the midst of that discussion, he points us to the faithfulness of God. He points us to the one who will never let us down. He points us to the fulfilled promises that we find in Christ Jesus, which is so applicable for us right now. As so many things are unfulfilled, God is fulfilling his promises. God is fulfilling his commitments to us. For our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly towards you. Paul is trying to reestablish his credibility with the church of Corinth, and he says, this is our testimony to you, to the world, our conscience. They allowed their conscience to guide them as they served the church of Corinth. And he lists three things here, and the first is that they lived in simplicity. This word simplicity, it's the opposite of duplicity. It's the opposite of compromise. It speaks of singleness of mind. The apostle Paul had chosen to live his life with being kingdom oriented, to seek first the kingdom of God. As we seek guidance in our lives, I think these things in Paul's life are very applicable to us as well. When we're kingdom focused, when we put the kingdom of God first, our relationship with Christ first, living towards his priorities then that makes life clear, doesn't it? There's a clarity that comes with that. There's a simplicity that comes with that. There's a singleness of mind that comes with that. When we lose sight of seeking first the kingdom, when we lose sight of that priority, then things get really complicated. Things get muddy and things get messy. And Paul says, I've lived my life with this simplicity, with this singleness of mind of directed towards the Lord but also a godly sincerity, a godly sincerity. This is a purity of motive. Paul wants the church of Corinth to know that his motive towards them was pure. He was seeking to serve them. He wasn't seeking to take advantage of them. 
He was seeking to be a blessing in his life and their lives. And Paul's not perfect, but he is living before them with godly sincerity. And that's a great marching order for our lives as well. So I want to live with godly sincerity. I want my relationship with the Lord to be authentic before him and before others. Also, Paul rejected fleshly wisdom. In Romans chapter 12, it says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our our minds. There's a worldly wisdom, there's a fleshly wisdom that we need to reject. We need to choose to say, man, I'm not walking in fleshly wisdom. And there's a lot of fleshly wisdom out there right now, isn't there? Every time you watch something on Netflix and Amazon, there's an agenda that's being pushed. When you read the news, there's an agenda that is being pushed. As you talk with friends, there's a, there's a worldly wisdom that's there. So we sort through that and we pray through that and we go, okay, Lord, where is the worldly wisdom and where is the truth of Scripture? The importance of knowing Scripture and understanding the truth of God that sets us free. I like how Paul ends this. He says, but by the grace of God. These things are alive and active in Paul's life, these three things, because of God's grace in his life. We often think think of God's grace and what saves us and brings us to Christ, the grace of God, the unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor of God. But God's grace is continuing in our lives. Amen? It's what we rely upon to be able to live a godly life. Not that we have the strength in and of ourselves. I can't save myself. I can't be godly in my own efforts. And so, Lord, I need to be relying upon your grace. And as we're relying upon his grace, then we can live in simplicity. We can live in godly sincerity. We can reject the worldly wisdom. In verse 13, For we are not writing any other things to you than what you read or understand, Now I trust you will understand even to the end. Paul says, I don't have any double-sided, passive-aggressive communication. I'm putting it all out here in this letter. This letter is going to be what hopefully brings reconciliation and brings us back into right relationship. I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'm not hiding anything from you. It's all put in this letter. No deception. And I'm writing in it a way where I hope you can understand it. In verse 14, as also you have understood us in part, that we are your boast, as you also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. As the church of Corinth and Paul have a tenuous relationship right now, Paul is looking forward to the day when they're going to be around the throne room of God. In that day, he declares, we're going to be each other's boast. I'm going to be boasting in the church of Corinth. Look at what God has done through these group of believers. Then also, the church of Corinth is going to be boasting in the Apostle Paul. You ever have a disagreement with believers? Ever see things sideways with other believers? Do you ever feel like sometimes maybe a believer has lost their trust uh, in you? Well, good news. When we get home to be with the Lord, those relationships are going to be made right. Hopefully they can be made right this side of heaven. But ultimately, in heaven, we're going to be bragging on each other. We're going to be boasting on each other. We're going to go, look at the church of Corinth. Look at the apostle Paul. And I think the more that we can do that now, on this side of heaven, the more that the Lord is is glorified. In verse 15, And in this confidence I intend to come to you before that you might have a second benefit. 
So this was Paul's plan to make a second visit to the church of Corinth, that the church of Corinth could be encouraged, but this was the plan that changed in verse 16. To pass by way of you to Macedonia, to come again from Macedonia to you, and be helped by you on my way to Judea. So traveling from Macedonia to Judea to deliver this financial gift to the church in Jerusalem that is in crisis, Paul was hoping to make a second stop at the church of Corinth. In verse 17, he talks about his preparation in making this plan. Therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? Or the things I plan, do I plan according to the flesh? That with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no. Paul's like, I took this seriously. I didn't take this flippantly. I really prayed and planned and prepared about this. I counted the cost in in making this uh, commitment uh, to you. It wasn't after the flesh. I didn't have any wrong motivation uh, for it. And God's intent is that it should have been yes, yes, and no, no. That is God's desire. If at all possible, that we would follow through with our commitments, that our yes would be yes, and our no would be no. But sometimes things happen, don't they? And things happen that are outside of our control, and we're human, and sometimes we forget, and all of these different types of factors that come into play. Today, we were supposed to have a pastors and wives getaway for the pastors of our church and their wives. Usually every fall, us pastors take two or three days and go up into the mountains and seek the Lord together and have a great time, be encouraged, but our wives are not able to participate. So we've been preparing and planning and had this on the calendar for months to go away this evening and then it was just going to be 24 hours, be done tomorrow evening, but we had to cancel it. A lot of things came up, only half of the pastors could come and and half of of their wives and so we decided let's go ahead and and postpone uh, this. Had to send out a text Saturday night saying, all right guys, we're, we're, we're canceling this and there's a lot of that this year. Our missions pastor, uh, Dan Johnson, uh, we've nicknamed him Daniel Canceled Johnson. Because in all of the, the outreach, there's been so many things that have had to been canceled. And that's not the way that we like to do ministry. There's been a lot of years here where things have just kind of went along. We've been able to, to plan things by God's grace and then be able to follow through uh, with, those, with those plans. But this is one of those years where a lot of plans are, are affected. So there's something for us to learn in this. Notice what Paul does as he now focuses the church of Corinth on the faithfulness of God. His inability to fulfill this commitment, he says, but as God is faithful, God's faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. We need to be putting our focus upon the faithfulness of God. This year, maybe your plans have failed Other people's plans have failed. Other people's commitments towards you have failed. But God is faithful. It helps us to see the faithfulness of God. Aren't you so thankful that God never has a bad day? His promise, one of his promises is, I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. And he never wakes up going, I'm I'm not feeling quite up to that task today. I'm not going to be able to be there for you like I I promise to you. The amazing promise of salvation that we have everlasting life if we believe in the Lord, a reservation made in heaven. Aren't you thankful that God's not double-minded and he's like, you know, 
I don't really like you anymore. So you're not going to heaven. And that whole promise of the gospel and trusting in Christ and the finished work, you know, I didn't really, I didn't really mean that. And in these uncertain times and of all the things that are changing, hopefully it's helping us to see the faithfulness of God. It's helping us to appreciate how God is our solid rock and his promises are unchanging and the word of God is unchanging. Also, it's very wise of the Apostle Paul. He's pointing people to God's faithfulness, not his faithfulness. We don't want to point people to our faithfulness because we fall short, but God's perfect. We want to point people to to Jesus. We want to point people to making sure that their eyes are fixed on the author and the finisher of their faith. So Paul now talks about when we came to you, you could trust the message that we gave. Paul doesn't want the church of Corinth to start to question the message of the gospel just because Paul can't follow through with this visit. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. We came, Silvanus, Timothy, Paul, and we preached Jesus. We preached the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And in Christ, the message is yes. There's nothing faulty with the message of the gospel. And that's why we preach Christ. And that's why we stand on the gospel, because the gospel is trustworthy. Verse 20, for all of the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. I really like how the ESV version translates this, the English Standard Version. It says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. Don't you like that? All of the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. That is why it's through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. So we see that all of the promises of God are wrapped up in Jesus. And we respond with an amen, a so be it. Amen is a term of agreement. For example, the Broncos are absolutely lousy this year. Amen, right? I'm a Bronco fan, and it's a terrible year to be a Bronco fan. It's like, oh, they're just struggling so bad. A statement like that, you go, I don't really like that, but that's true. Agreement there. You know, a much more positive agreement would be, man, I love Chipotle. Amen, right? Like, so be it. Like, yeah, that's good. Chipotle, Chipotle is good. So we respond to this truth that all of the promises of God are yes in Jesus with a Amen. All right. To the glory of God. God's glorified when we're in agreement with the promises of Scripture. This is transformational when we understand the unfolding message of the Bible. Genesis to Revelation. God gave a covenant to the children of Israel where their relationship with God was based on their performance. God said, if you do this, then I will do this. If you obey, you're going to be blessed. If you disobey, you're going to be cursed. To the point where when they got into the promised land, God says, here's Mount Ebal, which is going to be the Mount of Blessing. And here is Mount Gerasim, which is going to be the Mount of Cursing. From the law, then they would read the blessings from Mount Ebal and the cursings from Mount Gerasim. The message is clear. Which mountain do you want to live on? If you obey, you're going to be blessed. If you disobey, you're going to be cursed. 
but God gave a new covenant. And that new covenant is one of grace. Not if then, but it's based on the finished work of Jesus Christ, where the promises of God, where the blessings of God are wrapped up in the person of Jesus, wrapped up in what he did for us on the cross. When Jesus was crucified, he declared and he said, it is finished. The price is paid for in full. And it's based upon his death, his burial, his resurrection, that we can count on the promises of God being true in our lives. How are we so confident that God's not going to leave us or forsake us because of the finished work of Jesus Christ? The promises of God are in him. They're in Christ. However, it's hard for us to live in a new covenant relationship with God we tend to gravitate towards an old covenant relationship with God. Well, if I do all of these things, then I'm going to be blessed. So I read my Bible, I read my Bible, I read my Bible, so I'm going to be blessed. I went to church, I went to church, I'm going to be blessed. I even tithed unto the Lord, I'm, I'm going to be blessed. I obeyed his commands, I'm going to be blessed. And we're working for it. We're thinking that God's blessing, his favor, his promises are coming into our life because we've obeyed. And there's a part of our flesh that really likes that because it lends itself to pride. Like, look at me. Why can't you read your Bible like me? You know, why can't you serve like me? Why can't you obey like me? If you want your life to be blessed, then you do this like me. It's not glorifying God. It's glorifying our own hard work. But then... The other side to that is eventually we're going to fail. Eventually, we're not going to be able to live up to that standard. The nation of Israel was never able to live up to that standard. And we're walking around in condemnation and we're walking around in shame. This is super freeing to understand the promises of God are wrapped up in Jesus. Let's illustrate this just for fun. Old Stage Road by Broadmoor Hotel goes up into the mountains, dirt road. From my understanding, if you go up far enough, you're going to eventually hit Cripple Creek. I've never made it all the way through to, to Cripple Creek. Turns into a fairly aggressive four-wheel drive road. Let's say that you decide you want to hike it. You leave from the springs. You leave from your home. Like, I'm going to hike to Cripple Creek on Old Stage Road. Good for you, Right? but you're a little bit unprepared. You don't take enough water, you don't take enough fuel, you don't take enough food, but you have determination. You're gonna get there by your hard work. And you're trudging up Old Stage Road, and you're trudging up Old Stage Road, but by this point you've run out of water and you've run out of food. Then here comes a glorious Jeep Rubicon. I mean, it's pretty much the promised land on four wheels and it's just cruising up old stage road and the driver rolls down the window and says would you like to get in my jeep rubicon and you're like no i'm gonna sweat this out i'm gonna work for this you know you i'm not getting in your your jeep rubicon so you keep going you keep going for a few more miles and this gracious individual comes back to you and their Jeep Rubicon says, why don't you get in? And at this point, you're humbled, and you're like, okay, I'm going to get in. And you have a glorious ride up to Cripple Creek, up to Gold 
country. That's the difference of being in. The promises are in Jesus. And as we trust Jesus and we're focused in upon Jesus, then the promises of God flow into our lives. Not our own works, not our own efforts. Some people would look at this and say, well, if this is true, then what about holy living? Where does obedience come in? Obedience comes in as a response to the grace of God. Not trying to earn or deserve his blessings, but because we've received his blessings. Because we're the the child of God. We're so moved by God's grace where we say, I want to live for the Lord. I want to surrender myself to the Lord. Not because I'm trying to get his favor or trying to earn or deserve these promises to be fulfilled, but because they are already fulfilled in Christ Jesus. I think the more that we understand the grace of God, the more that we understand the new covenant, it does produce a holiness in us that the law never could. When you're simply trying to obey rules, that's only going to go so far, but the new covenant of God's grace, it changes our hearts to where we say, I want to live for the Lord. So this is a tremendous promise to us that all of the promises of God find their yes in him. Verse 21, now he who establishes us with you in Christ has anointed us is God. Two promises that are included of our position in Christ is that he establishes us. He establishes us. It's a big deal to be established. It's a, it's a blessing in life when you get to a place where God has given you a job and you're able to have an apartment or a home and buy groceries and go, wow, by God's grace, he's established my life. But this is speaking of a far greater establishment. This is an establishment of eternal life to know that we're going to heaven. This is an establishment in our identity to know that we're the child of God. This is an establishment in the peace of God to know that we have a peace that surpasses our understanding. And this is part of our position in Christ. So many things are changed, but our position in Christ has not changed. And we're established in him. He's our security. He's our foundation. He's that rock that we hold on to, but also we're anointed in Christ. As you've trusted Christ as your savior, you're now in Christ. You are anointed. There's only three places in the New Testament that speak of believers being anointed. This is one of them. The other two are in 1 John 2. In the Old Testament, priests, prophet, and kings would all be anointed with oil for the purpose of service. It was showing that their life was set apart by God to serve as a king, to serve as a priest, to serve as a a prophet. We've been anointed with the Holy Spirit for the purpose of service. Church, brothers and sisters in Christ, this is all of us. This is not just Christian superstars. This is not just believers that we look up to and we go, oh, they're so anointed. We're all anointed. The Spirit of God lives inside of us for the purpose of being able to serve the Lord, for the purpose of being able to step out into the things that God has called us to and the things that God has equipped us to. Have you ever seen yourself in that light? Just like the promises of God are in Christ, the anointing of God is in Christ. Because you're in Christ, you have received this anointing to be able to serve this anointing to be able to be a blessing to the body, to reach out to unbelievers. We're established, we're anointed. In verse 22, who has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Also, 
in Christ, we're sealed, and we've been granted the Spirit as a guarantee. In the ancient world, if a document was, was sealed, you would take your specific seal that was tied to who you were, you would have your own brand, if you would, and if you put that seal on, it identifies, okay, this is from this king, this important person. But it would also protect because if the seal is broken, then you know that someone is messed with it. Modern day understanding of this, you know, if, if, if the milk's not sealed, not so good, right? When you buy a gallon of milk, you want that seal to be nice and tight. You're the first one that's broken open that seal. So in Christ, you're sealed. You're identified. You belong to Jesus. You're the child of God. You're protected by Christ. Then also, we've been given the Spirit as a guarantee. We've been given the Spirit as a down payment, literally earnest money. If you attempt to buy a house, you've got to have earnest money to show that you're serious about the contract. And God has given us his Holy Spirit as a guarantee where we know that God's going to be faithful to his promise. He's going to complete that good work he started in us. He's going to see us through to eternal life to the point where God says in his word that we are glorified, past tense. From God's perspective, he looks at us even though we're still in process on this side of heaven and he says, you're glorified. You're going to make it. I'm going to finish that good work that I've started in you. The Spirit of God lives inside of you and is that down payment, that earnest of God's investment in you. Verse 23, Moreover, I call God as a witness against my soul that to spare you I came no more to Corinth. Paul didn't feel like it was time to visit the church of Corinth. It would be a sorrowful visit instead of a joyful visit. And so he says, look, I'm going to spare you. It's for your sake that I'm not coming. That's why Paul canceled the trip. Paul expresses his heart for the church of Corinth here in verse 24. Not that we have dominion over your faith, but are fellow workers for your joy, for by faith you stand. This verse has really been insightful and been a blessing to me as a pastor over the years when I was studying it in Bible college, studying it in 2 Corinthians, hearing 2 Corinthians taught, this was one of the verses that really stood out to me. Paul says, as a pastor, I'm here to serve you. I'm sir, here to be a helper of your joy, to help you to know Christ and for you to have the abundant life. I just want to foster your joy. But I don't have control over your faith. Your faith is between you and the Lord, and, and by your faith you stand. And the reason that this has been helpful for me as a pastor is it's been a reminder that we as pastors here at RMC, we just get the privilege to serve you. We get the privilege to share God's word with you, to pray for you, at times to bring encouragement, at times to offer some correction from God's word, but you belong to the Lord. You belong to the Lord. And sometimes pastors get those wires crossed in their hearts and their minds and they start to think that people belong to them. No, you don't belong to a pastor. You belong to Jesus. Jesus is the head of a church. And as pastors, we simply get to help foster your joy. And I think that's helpful as you serve others as well, even your own children. Our children don't belong to us. They belong to the Lord. We don't have dominion over their faith. Ultimately, they get to choose whether they want to believe or not. They're going to stand before, before the Lord. We get to come alongside of them and serve them 
and be a helper of their joy, but we don't have dominion over their faith in that way. They're going to get to choose their, their faith. Because as we invest in people, we don't want to start getting to this place where we think in, in some way that we have control of their lives. Only Jesus has control over their lives. We're going to go on into the first few verses of chapter 2. But I determined this within myself, that I would not come to you again in sorrow. For if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad, but the one who is made me sorrowful by me? (laughs) Paul says, we've already had a tough first visit. I don't want to have another sorrowful visit. It's time for a joyful visit. Think of it this way. Maybe there's some tension in extended family. Does that ever happen? Tension in extended family? And you decide to take a vacation with extended family. I don't know if that's possible. It's kind of an oxymoron to vacation with an extended family, but you're, you're attempting it, right? You're, you're going to do it. But you decide there's some issues in the family that need to be dealt with before we go on this vacation, because we want the vacation to be a joyful experience, so you address those issues prior to the trip, or attempt to. Have some phone conversations, maybe some emails. Probably not a smart idea to do that over text. So those issues are dealt with so you can have a joyful time together. And that's Paul. He said, I'm not going to come visit you right now. I'm going to deal with these issues through this letter, try to get us on the same page, so that when we are reunited, it is a joyful time together. A message of encouragement this morning. Be encouraged. All of the promises of God are yes in him, in Jesus. And we get to say, amen. We get to be in agreement where we trust and we go, we know that all things are working together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. God's going to be faithful to that promise. Yes and amen. The promise that God is going to complete the good work that he has started in us. Yes and amen, because of the finished work of Christ. The promise of eternal life for those who believe. We look at that and we respond and we say, yes, I believe that's true because of the finished work of of Jesus Christ. Trusting in what he has done in the new covenant of his grace. So I would encourage you to examine your relationship with the Lord. Is it a new covenant relationship Or is it an old covenant? Are you obeying with this motivation? If I obey, then God's going to bless. Or do we go, man, God is already blessed. He's already provided forgiveness and favor and his love and his promises towards me. And I simply get to respond in obedience. As we close this morning, I want to take a few minutes, just a few extra minutes and focus in on the gospel. And my heart is being stirred in the area of the gospel and the importance of the name of Jesus being proclaimed. And I want specifically in our time together to spend some time each week giving opportunity for those of you who don't know Christ as your Savior to trust Jesus and to be saved. And hopefully this understanding of the gospel would be clear. And also for us as believers, that we would be stirred by the gospel. And there's a couple of things that are going on in my heart, in my mind. And as I'm watching the events of the world, 
and I'm watching the events of our country. It's a very interesting time, and there's a lot of messages being proclaimed. And I fault myself for this as well, but one of the messages that I'm not hearing is the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's not a message that is getting out there, and that's the most important message. The fact that God sent his son and that his, his son died upon the cross for our sins. We have a sin problem. And the only one that can solve that is Christ. Also, I was at a funeral yesterday for a 17-year-old that committed suicide in, in our community. I told you a little bit about it last week. And my heart is grieved for teens. There's a darkness that's happening in our, our community where teens are feeling like life is not worth living and taking their own lives. And it stirred in me again the importance of the gospel, the importance of Jesus's love, the importance that Jesus has died for us in proclaiming this message. So if you don't know Christ, I want you to listen and start to examine what would it take to have a relationship with God? And if you do know Christ, wrestle with this question, when was the last time I shared the gospel? When was the last time I I proclaimed to someone the hope that's there in Christ's name? So here's the gospel. Here's the good news. Is that God loves sinners. Before eternity even, before creation, excuse me, in eternity past, as God was thinking about creating Adam and Eve, he knew that Adam would sin. He knew that Eve would sin. But yet he still created Adam and Eve. It was in the heart of God that he would send his son to be the answer for our sin. Sin is when we miss the mark. So we can even be attending to be good, but then we miss the mark and we sin. Jesus told us that we're accountable even for the thoughts of our hearts. If we lust towards a person in our heart that we've already committed adultery, if we're anger in our heart, we've already committed murder. God's holy And our sin is so grievous before a holy God that it's just for God to judge us for our sin. If we say no to Jesus over the course of a whole lifetime, if we say, I don't need Christ, I don't believe Christ, I don't believe that he died for my sins, then it is just for God to punish us for our sins. Our sins are that grievous. It's our sin that led Jesus to the cross. Where he went to the cross, he came in human flesh, died upon the cross for our sin. He took the punishment for our sin. For God to continue to be holy, he couldn't just go, oh, boys will be boys, girls will be girls. Your your sin's not that big of a deal. He paid the price for sin. And he loved us while we were still sinners. He loved us while we didn't want anything to do with God. It was that truth about God's love that led me to Christ. I grew up hearing about Christ. I grew up in a Christian family. I went to a Christian school. When the doors of the church were open, we were there. And I didn't want anything to do with Christ. It wasn't that I didn't hear about Christ. It was that I had a hard heart towards Christ. And the fact that God loved me when I didn't want anything to do with Christ, when I had turned my back on him and tried to push him out of my life, but God demonstrated his love towards us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We're left with a choice. Each one of us is left with the opportunity of what are we gonna do with this free invitation? What are we gonna do with a crucified and risen Savior? Will we repent of our sin 
and believe the gospel. Jesus taught repentance. John the Baptist taught repentance. The disciples taught repentance. What does it mean? I'm headed in this direction. It's a change of mind and change of direction. It's a turning away from sin and turning to Christ, realizing our need for a Savior. To believe is to believe that Jesus died, that he rose again, that he's God, inviting him to be the Lord of your life. Then God's promise is that he will provide salvation. He'll provide forgiveness. The Holy Spirit will come and live inside of you, the third person of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You'll be the child of God. Your sins will be forgiven, but you've got to decide. Yesterday, I was reading Jonah in my devotions. Interesting book of the Bible. Jonah's called to go give God's message to Nineveh. He doesn't want to do it. They're Israel's enemies, and he doesn't want to see his enemies forgiven. But God got Jonah there. And here he comes into Nineveh, and it's a wicked city. He proclaimed, repent or God's judgment's coming in 40 days. And it says that the city of Nineveh believed God. They believed God. And they fasted and they mourned and God forgave them. And that upset Jonah. But it reminded me of how gracious God is That even though we're in wickedness, if we'll believe God, he will bring us out of wickedness. That light trumps over darkness. And you may be saying, you know, my life is in a place where I don't know if God could love me. I've done all of these things. I've gone to places I shouldn't. I've thought things that I shouldn't. I've just, I've been in all of this sin. I've been in all of this wickedness. My heart is hard towards the Lord. And the good news of the gospel is the sacrifice of Jesus is so great that as we believe God, that God then is able to cleanse us and forgive us of our sins and begin to change our life from the inside out. So examine your heart and examine your life. Have you trusted Christ for salvation? Maybe you've been thinking about it for some time. Maybe this morning is the first time you've given it some thought, but it makes sense to you. Like, I'm ready to turn from my sin. I'm ready to believe that Jesus died for me, that he rose again and receive his forgiveness. So I want to be clear. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray to receive Christ, to raise your hand, not to me, not to anybody else, but to raise your hand to Christ. Say, Jesus, save me. This is not about joining a church. A church can't save you. This is not about trying to get anything from you. This is about you looking at Jesus and saying, I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he rose again for me and I'm ready to surrender my life to him. Also for everyone that's listening online right now, I'm gonna encourage you to raise your hand. Maybe you're sitting in your car, listening on your device, you're in your family room, you're in your kitchen making breakfast, God's touching your heart right before the Lord. Raise your hand to him. For those of you that know Christ, would you pray with me during this time that God would would touch hearts? So let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you loved us enough to send your son to die on the cross for our sins and rise again. We're all desperately in need of your forgiveness. Lord, for those that haven't trusted you for salvation, and this is the morning, would you call them by name? Would you show them your love? Show them their their need for a savior. 